Good morning. Today's first scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 20. It can be found on page 1831 of your pew Bible. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our second reading comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. It's on page 1641 of your pew Bible. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for the people of God. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, may your words alone be spoken and may your words alone be heard. This we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to spend just a few moments talking about today. Next week, when we come to worship, we're going to be able to look at each other and say something. We're going to be able to look at each other and say, Janet, Happy New Year. Sharon, Happy New Year. Today, in the liturgical year, the Christian calendar year, we are on the last Sunday. And next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, begins a new year. So we can look at each other next Sunday and say, Happy New Year, Nelson. In his encyclical Cas Primas in 1921, Pope Leo instituted the celebration of the reign of Christ the King, or Christ the King's Sunday, to be celebrated on the last Sunday of the year before the beginning of the season of Advent. Now think with me for just a moment what you might think of when you think of that year, 1921, came on the heels two years prior to the close of World War I. And with the foundations of Western civilization and indeed the whole world having been shaken, Pope Leo believed that it was time for the church to be reminded that all the kingdoms of the world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, as John the Revelator said. It was a time for the church to be reminded that Human-made kingdoms and powers did not have ultimate authority and allegiance. For a Christian, that belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And in the 1960s, in the ecumenical reforms in Protestant churches, they adopted that into their Protestant Christian calendar. Christ the King Sunday. That last Sunday of the liturgical year. And think of that culmination. The whole year culminates in this confession That Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of the universe. In the readings that Sharon offered for us today, we have these these incredible words from Paul to the the church in Colossae. And he he talks of sort of this, this cosmic plan where God the Father sends God the Son to rescue human beings from darkness and sin, from despair and death, and to bring them into, listen to the language here, to bring them into his kingdom. To save them, to bring them into his kingdom. And how does he do that? From Luke chapter 23. By being beaten, stripped naked, humiliated, shamed, tortured, put up on a cross. That is how the king establishes his rule. Completely scandalous to first century Jews. The Messiah, the king, dying in the most cruel way known to man at that time. This Roman torture device, a symbol that was meant to communicate to the whole world, don't mess with Rome. That is how the kingdom of God is established. Yes, it is. 
Friends, in some corners of the world, language of king and kingdom makes some people uncomfortable. Not only do they feel that it's antiquated, but they feel that, you know, in a world where, uh, uh, where equality and equity seems to be the buzzword of the day, to talk about a king and a kingdom means that there is a ruler, that there's someone over us. For some folks, that is just a bit much. But that, friends, is the core of the Christian reality of the structure of the kingdom in which Christians live. We do have someone who is over us. We do have a king. We do have someone that we're called to follow, to forsake everything and to follow. And then to not only just follow him, but to participate in his kingdom. To not just... uh, offer our allegiance and oblation to a king, but to be active participants in his kingdom. Through our words, through our deeds, through our actions, we are engaged. Believe it or not, you here this morning, coming here to worship, we are engaged in a struggle, in a battle, in an act of warfare. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And they are fundamentally opposed one to the other. Because their fundamental structures, the values, the way that it calls us to live in the world are diametrically opposed. One kingdom says, look out for yourself. The other kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not think of others over himself. The kingdom of this world says, get what you can get for you at any cost. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ says, it's not about you. It's about what you can do for others. We know the values of the kingdom of this world. Greed and selfishness, avarice. We know the values of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Love and compassion and kindness, self-sacrifice, patience, self-control. This morning, we have a choice that's set before us. We can choose day by day which kingdom we are actively participating in. And friends, there are times that good Christians, consciously or not, work to promote the kingdom of this world. But we're called, friends, to participate in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. A king who does battle with death and defeats it. Not through a sword, not through the power of armies or kingdoms of this world. But through sacrifice and love. Those are the weapons that we, as participants in his kingdom, are called to employ. To love with no condition. To give of ourselves for others. To be kind and humble. That is how we go to battle against the kingdom of this world. That is how we live under the aegis, under the rule of this king. Who has come down into the muck and mess of everyday life. Has pulled us up. Has cleaned us off and has sent us back out into the world 
to be his partners in bringing his kingdom here on earth. So friends, this morning the question is before us. In whose kingdom are we choosing to live and participate? We can claim Jesus Christ as king all day long with our lips. And yes, we should do that. But are we living like we believe he is our king? Are we living in such a way that others around us can look at us and see something different in us? Something that's different from the values and the behaviors and the beliefs of the world. Who is your king? And who's in whose kingdom are you living and working? That's the question before us today. May each one of us, with the boldness and the confidence that can only come from the indwelling Holy Spirit, say, I'm living for Jesus Christ. Amen.